Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps to get the best gear out there, get you ready for spring, get you ready for summer, and as easy as going to Mercury Mile. Dot com. Enter your sizes and preferences and you'll get a curated box of running goodies sent to you. Usually four to six items. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And I can guarantee you this. Whatever you decide to keep will be some of the best stuff in your drawers, in your closets. Because this stuff is really, really good. It's the highest quality gear from all over the place. Just the best brands that you've heard of and some maybe you haven't heard of. And that's always exciting as well. Also, use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10. So this episode is with Lisa Etter. Lisa is a distinguished runner who has run so much in the last couple of years from a race perspective, but it wasn't always that way. And like a lot of guests, she kind of picked up running a little bit later and boy, did she embrace it with two hands, two arms, just giving it a full bear hug. And she is someone who has really elevated her game recently. And not only does that deserve accolades, but she has done it while holding down a middle school special education position, which I know firsthand because my wife is a special education teacher, can be an exhausting task and something that's very hard to juggle with running. And also Lisa has three kids, so she's balancing a lot, but she's accomplishing a lot. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about it. So one more thing I want to mention before we get to the conversation is, of course, Megaton Coffee. Megaton Coffee is twice as caffeinated as your normal cup, but it's also just as good, if not better. It's the only coffee I drink at home. I love this stuff, and you can get it sent to you. That's right. You can go online, go to megatoncoffee.com, and have the subscription service sent right to your home. You never have to leave. I love these box and subscription services. It's just one one other thing I don't have to worry about. Also, when you go and set it up, use code RAMBLING to save some cash. So use that at checkout and it will save you some bucks. So thank you, Megaton Coffee. Thank you, Mercury Mile. And thank you, Lisa. So let's get on to the show. Hello, Lisa, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm pumped to talk to you. I'm really excited. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. And hey, I'm talking to you on a school night. I say school night because you are a teacher. You're a special education teacher in middle school. And in addition to that, obviously, a dedicated runner. And I want to talk to you about the the, 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 uh, the teaching background first, because first of all, my wife is upstairs writing an IEP as I record this. She is also a special education teacher, so I can relate to the stresses that come with your job, even though I don't have it. I get to see it every day. <laughs> so first of all, how do you do it? I mean, uh, how, do you, how do you balance the, the special education teaching with the running because I'll tell you what and I get to see this firsthand every day it is a draining profession yeah it's it's exhausting and it's an early morning so I have to be there even by 6 45 so it's just it's just a long day I I mean I love it but those middle schoolers can wear me thin by the end of the day it's it's exhausting but it's fun (laughs) 
Yeah, I can imagine. It's also, you know, middle school is a tough year. It's a tough grade, you know, tough grades for anybody. Because, you know, with all the hormonal changes and the social pressures and so on and so forth, um, you know, I, I substitute taught middle school for four years. Again, it's not the same. I'm not going to say it is, <laughs> but it, I basically substitute taught every single day. My mom was a secretary at the middle school, so I got, mm-hmm. I got every sub job that they came my way. Oh. This is when I was coaching college basketball at the time. And it was like a part-time gig, so I needed something during the day. And I'll tell you what, man, those kids are tough. And, ah, man. It's one of those things where I can see why you do so many early morning runs, even with your, even with having three kids and having an early start to your day from a professional standpoint, because mm-hmm. I can't even imagine you trying to run after. I tried that with Boston and it was not very successful. I was never motivated. I never gave it my all when I trained. It was, yeah, I had nothing left. I leave there and I don't want to do anything but like lay down for at least like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, afternoon runs, I tried it and it it was not successful. So I I can't do that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough thing. This is a great example of how not only physical stress, can like mm-hmm. can can be can have like you know wear and tear on your training but a great example of how mental and emotional stress can do the same oh my gosh yes absolutely and there's days where parent i'm putting out i feel like i'm putting out fires a lot with parents and teachers well not teachers but students and paraprofessionals and it that is that's sometimes more exhausting than the actual teaching part of it all now what now what exactly is your role as a special education teacher and i say that in the light of like my wife is works in an inclusion school. So okay. she has, you know, she goes bounces back and forth between second and third grade and she has kids in each classroom. Like what is your model? So I am in charge of eighth grade math and science. And I have some kids that come to me and they have their math lesson in my class and it's geared to what their learning abilities are. I have some students that are in a regular pre-algebra class that just need a little bit of help, maybe extra time on tests. And then I have some kids who are in honors classes, but they might have Asperger's. So I have, I deal with like a lot of autism, a lot of kids with ADHD, um, anxiety and different math disabilities and reading disabilities as well so it kind of varies but if you looked at it most of the students that I taught you wouldn't look at them and know that they had a learning disability so it sounds like you also have a kind of a wide spectrum of kids that you're working with yes very much so but they are all independent and can take care of themselves so I don't have like an inclusive inclusive room like your wife so mine's they're a little bit different but yeah Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's, let's first of all, dive into the fact that you started doing the marathons in 2016. And I'll tell you what, man, you've had a whirlwind couple of years here from a racing perspective. When you you started getting into running, did you see, you know, did you, could you have predicted how like knee deep into like running and racing you have become? No, because I never wanted to do a marathon, and I always swore that I would never do one. I had zero desire to run one. Like, I would do some halves, maybe run 50 or 60 miles a month if I was lucky, and that was it. Like, I had no desire to do this. So, so I that's don't... 50, 60 miles a month. Yes, that was, that was a good month. Sometimes it was 40, maybe less. It just, you know, it wasn't my full-time thing. I liked it, but, you know, my legs would get tired after three miles, and I'd stop. It was kind of that sort of thing. So were you doing other, you know, physical fitness activities at that time? Or was it just like, you just weren't into, you just weren't that active besides your work? Um, 
Yeah, yes and no, because my kids, at the, like, several years ago were still pretty young. My husband was getting his master's degree. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, and he traveled a lot. So I felt like I was, like, a single mom. So I didn't have a ton of time. It was a lot harder back then. I did a lot of, like, the P90X videos when that was cool, you know, 10 years ago or it's whatever. Not, it's not cool anymore? <laughs> no? You don't hear about it as much. You know, everybody <laughs> did it back then. So I did a lot of those. So I would do stuff, but I didn't just, I didn't just run, as my husband would say. I did a lot of other things i was probably i probably was stronger upper body muscles back then than i have now i've lost a lot of that got it and that can be a tough where you you know that time where you're you're teaching you got the young kids you got the husband who's also doing stuff that takes up a lot of time those Mm -hmm. are the moments where it's like you get that you it's like that hard balance where I don't know how you felt, but I know this is how I felt at times. And I know other people have as well. So I'd love to hear your, your view on this, where you know that you should do stuff for yourself mm-hmm. in terms of your body or your mental health. And if you have like, if you get two birds with one stone, shoot, even better. But there's also that guilt around it of like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm already not doing enough with the kids or I want to do this. And now I'm taking time away. And it, it's, it's so hard to get it right. Yeah. It... I don't, and I don't know if there's even an answer to that. It's a lot easier for me now that my kids can get up and like, they'll just watch TV for a little bit in the morning than when it was then they were younger. It's a lot more difficult because I don't have to make them a bottle right away or feed them immediately. So a lot of that has kind of gone as they've aged, but um, yeah, it's hard because I, I do miss the morning sometimes when I'm training deep in the training, usually my husband's the one giving them breakfast on the weekends. Um, I'm usually passed out like on the couch at like eight <laughs> o'clock at night. You know, I hate to say it, but when I wake up at three o'clock, I can't, I can't stay up late. So yeah, I, I'm, sometimes I'm not the best parent when I'm training. It's a hard balance. It is a hard balance, but it's also yeah. you, you, when you can have that other person to lean on, it's also important. Um, yes. You know, especially with, you know, and, that, and that's the other thing too, is that you go through seasons of your life where you're able to maybe, you know, focus a little more on certain things rather than others, right? Like you mentioned, now that your kids are older, you have three of them. What what ages are they? I have a 10, a 9, and a 6-year-old. Okay. So a 10, a 9, a 6. So mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like now that they're a little bit more independent in the mornings, it like frees you up. But I'm yes. sure when they, you know, if you go back five years ago, at that time, you're probably like, shoot, man, when, is, when am I going to be able to do any of this stuff? <laughs> It was so hard because if my husband went for a run, I couldn't go for a run. We'd have to schedule. We we would fight and bicker, like more bickering over who would get to run first. And he would always complain that I was wet. And so it was one of those types of things and in school. And yeah, it, it was really hard. And so that's super consistent. It made it difficult. Right. So then you were at that point where you were running occasionally, active as much as possible, and mm-hmm. then when did things start to shift for you and why from a running perspective? Um, so I had, I had done several half marathons in the past. Again, I never really did it quickly. I didn't have a watch or anything like that. Um, but my sister was going to do a full marathon. And I thought she was crazy. And she came and begged me to do a 15-mile run with her. I told her I had. And this is what? This is uh, 2016? This was in 2015, actually. Okay. So she it. was okay. training right. for her first that year. Um, and asked me to do the 15 miler with her. And I went reluctantly because I hadn't run over 10 miles. I was like, I can't do this. I'm out of shape. Um, but I did it with her. And we, I'm talking a 930, 10 minute mile pace, nothing quick. But after we finished that, I was like, wow, I did that. Like I did that without really preparing. 
so then it kind of wheels kind of turned and I was like okay if I did that I could totally do a full because I haven't even trained so then the following year I coaxed my sister I said I went and did that training run with you now you have to train with me because I don't know what I'm doing and I can't do this by myself so then we both did it the following year the same marathon so that's really what started it wow yeah so you so that was like so the, the success of that run right. was like this paradigm shifting moment of like, all right, I'm capable of doing a lot here. Yes. And I, and I loved it. I had never gone over 13 miles before ever. And it had been so long since I've even do, did a half prior to that. And I did, I fell in love with it and yeah. And it completely changed things. And then it made me think you can do it. Cause I used to think there's no way I could ever run a full, like never. And what about that run was so, I don't know, fulfilling for you. Like, what about it specifically? I don't know. I think it's something that I just never thought I could do. And then to go out and do it and feel good. And again, granted, it wasn't fast by any means, but to feel good doing it without any training under my belt just kind of gave me that boost of confidence that I guess I just never had. Got it. And then to be fair, though, you know, the slower you run, the, the more time on your feet. You know what I mean? So like right. you're on your feet for a super long time. Right. Which and that, is also a big deal. Yeah. And that was probably really all that I ran that entire week. Cause I probably thought I needed a full week off after that. Cause that's how I used to think. So I probably didn't run again for another week. Cause 15 was like my max per week. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people shoot, you know, like I, I subscribe to the theory of, you know, basically trying to limit long runs to about two and a half hours mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for a marathon. Again, I've, Anyone can, hey, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat here. You know, right. like, don't, don't at me, I guess is my <laughs> way of saying that. Um, you know, it's basically stopping at two and a half hours, no matter what your threshold is. Um, right. And you, you, there's other ways of building mileage. But, you know, you basically did that in that run. I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, you could say that, like, that run would have been the equivalent to a typical marathon long run if you were even building up to one. Right. And that's why, that's what did it for me. And I just, like, was on cloud nine the rest of the day you know that runner's high I had that and then I that was probably August and I held on to that until January when registration opened the following year and I signed up on the first day of registration because I was afraid I'd back out (laughs) if I win oh good call (laughs) good call now what 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 marathon was it this is just a small one in St. Louis it's called the Mo Cowbell it's very very tiny there's very few full marathoners in it I'm not sure how many but it's not big okay Got it. They were probably really pumped that someone signed up on the first day. <laughs> I was kind of scared I'd show up and have like number one, like when I was the first one. I don't want that. That would have been great. That what about a story that would have been? I know, right? You walk in the start line, like the seas part. You're like Moses walking to the start line. You're like, no, 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 please, please. <laughs> so you, you go out, you have that race, you you know, you had this epiphany on the long run, the week the kind of the year before. Mm-hmm. You go out. And hey, man, you broke, you broke uh, the four the four hour barrier, which is huge in the first marathon. And from what right. I recall of you writing before, like you, know, you had some haters who didn't think you could do it. Yeah, I didn't. My goal was to finish it in four, and my sister told me there's no way that because she the year before she didn't hit four. She's like, we can't do nine mile. I'm like, we're gonna go under four. That's the goal. Um, and that's all that I had. We didn't follow a training plan. We just kind of ran. And yeah, I ended up with 352, which and that's really with just doing it all on my own, having no clue what to do on the training. 
Right, and that's that's really good. Obviously, um, you know. So you know, at this point, you've you've kind of had a nice little entree into the marathons, right? You have this, this this amazing long run, and then you have kind of an unconventional build up, kind of doing your own thing, mm-hmm. and then you get this get this result. And then at that point, were you just smitten with the race? You know, I finished it and I was kind of done. I thought, I don't really want to run right now because the way that course is set up, the first half marathon part of it is great. Then when the half marathon is turned, you are on your own on a gravel road and you might see one medic in a folding chair that will clap for you. And that's it. And you are on a, I mean, that's it. It is the most depressing marathon if it's your first so I was kind of done when I finished that marathon. I was just over because I ran 13 miles solo without seeing many people. <laughs> oh. So I was not really on that high. I was, I was kind of like, eh, I'll, I'll take a break for a bit. Interesting. But also, you know, when you can juxtapose that with some of the marathons you run after that. Yeah. Well, Chicago opened up. I had seen people racing Chicago, like when I was training, I was like, well, that sounds fun. But then the opening, the registration for the following year came up right after that marathon. So I threw my name in the hat and then got pulled. So then I was committed to a second one. That's really probably the only reason I ended up going for a second. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And then as you were progressing through that training cycle, did you just, you know, did you kind of, did the love return? I guess. Yeah, I was excited to do it again. I just needed a little bit of a break after that first. I think just because when you run for 13 miles completely alone on your first marathon, you need, you need something. Um, but yeah, after I was excited to start training for Chicago again, I wasn't really dreading at all. It was just that immediate. I just needed some time down from the, from the running. Right. And then when you were going through this, you know, this year and a half year, a little bit over a year long cycle here, um, what was it like for you in terms of figuring out how to train and when to train to kind of maximize, you know, your, your training plan, but also maximizing your time like at work and at home and just trying to find that balance? I don't. It, the beginning of it's always easy because when it's a fall marathon, I don't have to work in the summer. So that makes it really easy for me. Um, but when school starts, it is. a. Sh- but you're home with the kids, too, though. I mean, it's not like you're just like chilling. <laughs> Obviously, they go to camps and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. than Right. Working. But it's also can be that can be exhausting. It is. Right. But then my like, I'll just go and have to be home before 630 when my husband leaves. So I know that oh, it's still early, it. but to be home by 630 rather than being at work by 630. It feels easy. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. It's like an hour, hour and a half. Difference. Right, right. So I don't have to wake up at 3. I could sleep to, until 4, 4.30, whatever. So the, the summer is easy. But once school starts, it's, it's a challenge to, to train and then to have enough energy and to have, like, the mental capacity to focus at school. Because sometimes I swear I can't do the math that I'm teaching the kids because I'm so tired. So it's, it is a challenge. Um, but I, that's why I think I fell into the mornings because the afternoons are just never consistent. Somebody gets sick or I have a pop-up meeting or something always just seems to happen in the afternoon. And then I can never get my runs in. All right. So let's talk about recovery. Mm-hmm. How has that evolved over the last few years? Because, you know, you're waking up hella early yeah. at 3 a.m. Yeah. And then you're working a hard day. Uh-huh. So it's not as if like, again, I, you know, there's certain people, me included, oftentimes I can be behind a desk, which, you know, it doesn't make my, it doesn't mean my job is easy, but it's not physically taxing. Right. So, um, you know, when I come home, I feel a whole lot different than my wife does when she comes home. 
You know, right. I mean? it's, it's very, very obvious. So what was it like for you in, uh, in terms of trying to maximize your recovery? And what are the, some of the things that you maybe did wrong in the beginning that you kind of learned from? I, you know, I don't, I think it's always just per cycle. Um, this last one, I trained for Boston in the afternoons because when I was doing ND back in the fall, I was doing all my 3 a.m. runs and I noticed I was getting sick. Every, it felt like every single week. And I think I was just, you know, five, six hours of sleep a night during training is not enough. And I don't think my body could handle it. So that's sort of why I moved into the, the afternoons. Um, but it just doesn't work. It's just, I was not very motivated to do well with that. So it didn't, I don't know every, I feel like every time kind of changes and my body feels different after each marathon. Um, and so I kind of always just gear everything off of that. Yeah, absolutely. So how many, what's your typical, not when you're base building, but when you're in marathon training, which means shoot for the past two years, you've like perennially been in marathon. Right. What is your typical weekday distance or kind of hours on foot? Um, so if it's a morning training, which is I've done four out of the five times, it is a a 3am wake up call, which is painfully early. Um, and then I usually like bolt home at five 30 and I'm out the door by six, four, six 30. I have to be out of my house by six 30 to get to work on time. Um, and I do, I am fortunate. I get out of work by two 30, usually unless there's meetings or something like that. Or I, and I do tutor after school once a week as well. So it's a little bit of a longer day. I usually come home and I am very fortunate because my kids don't get dropped off until four. So on those super early mornings, there are days that I can like sneak in like an hour nap before they get home, which helps me get through the second part of my day, which is dinner, ice skating, whatever sporting event we have. I swear we have something two to three nights a week. Right. So, and, you know, like the homework, the baths and all that stuff. So it, and then I don't get to really sit after I have a nap. I know, but after that, I don't get to really sit until about eight o'clock. So it, it's like a 15 hour day with a little one hour nap in there so what is your typical mileage on like on a weekday morning if you were to run um, it varies so anywhere from let's say six to 14 miles a morning like the rec- 14 on a I, weekday yeah, I've, I've wow. done that a lot <laughs> those are the days i'm barely making it to work on time um yeah those because i'll do a 10 mile tempo run and i'll do two warm up two cool down and it'll be 14 yeah. Holy is- cow. All right. So, <laughs> so, so let's, so let's talk about bedtime then, because as you mentioned, you know, if you're not getting the right sleep and the right recovery, things aren't going to go great. Um, right. Not only with your health, but you're really not going to improve. Either, right. Which also like begs the question of like, why am I doing this? If I'm not going to improve. Um, it's going to be really frustrating. So what is it like for you in terms of trying to get as much sleep as possible? And what has been like when you're doing it right, what is the right amount? It really you? stresses me out. So like, cause I'll be, I don't get home till eight 30 on Mondays with my daughter skating. So I feel myself being very stressed on Monday because I have to wake up at three to get my track workout in on a Tuesday. So I do, I feel, I get very anxious and very stressed out, which is another reason why I try to take a break from it just for my mental sake. Um, but I am a sleeper and I need a lot of sleep and I feel like I need a good, like nine to 10 hours, which is so unrealistic, but that that's what I need. And I 
don't get that when I'm doing you can't go you can't get to sleep at 5 p.m <laughs> I mean I physically could but I don't think my husband would approve when nobody has food <laughs> and we have sports <laughs> yeah so I mean I try to be like laying down at eight ish but I mean I don't actually fall asleep till eight thirty or nine and that's early but it's not when you're waking up at three Yes, exactly. That's a great point is that you, you kind of live in that paradox of yes. like, I'm only getting six and a half hours of sleep, which I would like more, but like, shoot, it's eight thirty at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's like, it's hard to like, cause then what you're really doing and people who have kids know this. And if you don't, you will, is that the nighttime is like, you will literally do anything. It could be mind numbingly boring. But if it's like your time and you get to make the choice, it's like, I want to hold this with two hands and never mm-hmm. let it go. Because like, because you don't get to make many choices about your own life with these no. kids running around. So even if it's like, I want to watch Netflix, not because I really want to watch this show, but it's just because I get to watch what I want yes. to watch. It's like, that, that's like enough of a motivation. Yes, sometimes. absolutely. All right. So when you were getting kind of repeatedly mm-hmm. sick, week after week were you also finding that you weren't really improving during that time as well i had a really successful training i really did which is awful um and it wasn't like flu sick it was just i felt like i had colds i would have laryngitis i i mean just random things but no i i mean i had a really successful run with indy i just i felt like i was always fighting some kind of virus of some sort that's a good point because you really went through a string of like getting better, getting better, getting mm-hmm. better in your races, which also brings me, we're kind of skipping around here, but I like the fact that we're not kind of going chronological. Cause I think that there's some certain parts of your training um, and just your running in general that are, that are interesting, but around this time last mm-hmm. year, you were, you were posting about how like, you know, you were getting ready for the marathon. You were really excited. And then shoot, you had like this, you had an emergency surgery and really put you out for a while and, you know, again, you, you were, you had a big 2018, you ran a lot of marathons and you were very active, mm-hmm. but you were, you were sidelined there for a while. So what exactly happened there? Um, with the surgery? Yeah. So it was, I guess a Friday night, I was supposed to be leaving with my daughter to go to a skating competition the next day. And I found myself on the floor, unable to move at eight o'clock that night. And I thought I would sleep through it. I would get up at three and go for my run and then drive her across the state to her competition. Um, and every hour that night I kept getting up and I was sick and I kept thinking, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. My alarm went off at three and I kid you not, I really got up to go run, which is ridiculous because I was like in the fetal position all night. Um, and then that's when at three o'clock in the morning I had called for my husband. I couldn't get off the bathroom floor. Like I was just curled up in a ball um, and I made him go take my daughter and my poor mom drove me to the hospital. But when I was at the hospital, I had found out that I was actually pregnant which about knocked me over because I had no idea or was expecting that it turns out it was a uh, tubal pregnancy and so with that comes with a lot of internal bleeding and there was a softball size uh, cyst also in my ovaries that that I had found out when I got to the hospital that they had to remove and for all right so for the tubal pregnancy what happens like, what happens next? Like, you find that out. Like, what does that mean? Like, what were the next steps for you? Um, yeah, that shot, that was awful. Like, I never in my, like, ever thought that was going to happen, that I'd find out I was pregnant in a hospital in the ER with my mom sitting there laughing. Um, 
it was like the uncomfortable, oh my gosh, this is happening kind of laugh. But with that, it was um, a surgery. So nobody would tell me what was going on. Like they were doing ultrasound, but it wasn't a doctor. So I'm sitting there like not yelling, but like talking to the tech and like trying to get her to tell me what was going on. But she like was poker faced and would not tell me if I was pregnant, if she could see a heartbeat, nothing. Um, so after like a good, if what felt like several hours, I found out that I was actually having a surgery that they had taken me back and then to remove the pregnancy, but nobody knew exactly, I guess, how bad it was at the time or where it was at. So when they, they did take me back and, um, I was lucky I didn't have to have anything removed. The, my body actually pushed it all out. So I did not actually have any tubes removed surprisingly. Got it. And, and with the tubal pregnancy, basically that that's not, I mean, it can't, it can't be sustained that way. No, it it can actually be pretty deadly. It can, it can kill you. Um, but like I had like the one, I think they said a liter of blood and then that softball size cyst, which is why I was in so much pain. Um, and my, my stomach was like a basketball. I was in full blown contractions in the hospital. Holy It was awful. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I can imagine. And, um, today, so, so you, you were preparing for a marathon at this point and you were like, you know, you, you'd won right on the way. And this, I, at that moment, obviously it's like the last thing from your mind, but oh, it was I know that I yelled oh, at all really? of them. I told him I was, I, <laughs> I was a little combative because I told him there's no way I was pregnant. And they all told me, no, that's not true. And then, um, <laughs> and I tried to convince him that it was not possible, but obviously I was wrong. Um, but I told every one of them that I was training for a marathon and I had a marathon and I was trying to get to Boston and I hadn't even told anybody about it. But that day I let it all out and let everybody know I was running the marathon, trying to get to Boston. And I pretty much getting to the hospital that day had told myself, you aren't running. There's no way you're going to be well enough in six weeks. Right. No, I can imagine. And then what was, was there, was the, was this tubal pregnancy far along where you had any hormonal after effects? Cause I know uh, sometimes with like, with, you know, if someone loses a pregnancy, um, that could be, that could be a hard thing. Yeah, I didn't. Um, because again, it wasn't anything, pl- it was such a shock to even find out. Um, but looking back, like I was super, t- like super lethargic the week before, but I just blamed it on training. But afterwards, I don't think I had any, I mean, I was going back weekly for blood check work just to make sure the hormones were decreasing, but I don't remember any, pre- like any hormones afterwards, like I did after giving birth. Mm-hmm. So after losing a liter of blood, having the sister removed, all of that, when, when you, obviously you were really into this marathon, you're telling everyone about it. <laughs> So what were were some of the directives that you received about how to proceed with training and and, and that sort of thing at that point? I am very lucky because I had a doctor who told me that he did not listen to his doctor when he had gallbladder surgery and was golfing, you know, a couple days later. So he understands, thankfully, and told me to take it easy, maybe take a week off, maybe two, but to go out and do it when I feel ready. So he was not restrictive. I was told, whenever you're ready, go ahead. I got very Oh, lucky. my God. If I yes. was in that moment, I would have been like, listen, Doc, I appreciate it, but, like, I'm running a marathon. I'm not playing 18 holes. <laughs> I say this as someone who really enjoys golfing, but like the comparison, I would have been like, all right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> These are not, you're making a false equivalency here between the two sports. 
<laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, I was just lucky that they were all okay with me going out. And if I had had a tube removed, it might have been different. But because I didn't, oh, yeah. my recovery was a lot shorter than what it could have been. I got lucky. So on race day, how did you, you know, were you kind of good to go? Do you have any, do, were you kind of hearkening back to what happened six weeks earlier or were you just game ready? I was doubting myself. Like I physically felt fine, but I had gone in there training for a three thirty, Um, and I told myself I was going to get with a pacer because in Chicago, I kind of blew up and went out way too fast. And I did not want to have that same kind of experience. So I was originally going to go with a 330 pacer. And because of that, I second guessed myself and doubted myself and ended up going with a 335er. So it was more in my head than it was physical that day. Got it. Got it. But then, you know, you, you had a wonderful year. I mean, you really, you, you kept on improving, which is remarkable. So as you progressed through the year, was it just kind of like Boston or bust? Was that, was that kind of the mantra that you were going with? Yeah. I mean, when I got that, I was on cloud nine and then I kind of just felt unstoppable. And I don't know what I did last year that I don't know, but it, it was, it was a really good year. And the year before that was really bad. And so I don't know, but it felt really good to have a good positive year with good results. I can imagine. Then you crushed it at Indy. What was the what was the total time? Was it, I know you're in the three twenties. Three twenty five. So I had knocked off six minutes from the one I ran in April. Oh man! So just so you killed it. That that is a huge, huge run. And then once you finished that, what was your mind frame like in terms of you've you've improved so much in so little time? You've gone from three fifty two to three twenty five, which uh-huh. is an enormous improvement. So when you started 2019, what were some of the the goals or New Year's resolutions that you had in mind that you wanted to accomplish? Well, it's awful because I think I burned myself out after Indy because I had, I feel like I've been doing two solid years and I really burned myself out. And last year I spent so much time working to get to Boston and then working to improve my time so I could get a better seat in Boston that when time for training for Boston came around, I was not, I was in a funk, like mentally I didn't have anything to gain from Boston, which is horrible. But I told myself that I just really got my head that there's no way you're going to ever PR there. You already qualified for 2020. You're not going to do better. And I like, what are you going to gain from this? So I was like, really, it was, it was rough. Like training was rough this time. I did not have a good cycle mentally. So what, I know this can be a little chicken and egg, but do you mm-hmm. feel like that you're, running wasn't going great and that affected you mentally or do you think it was more of like the mental drag started first and then it started affecting your running and then kind of like around and around you went it was the mental drag when indy in at the very end tail end of indy i was struggling so i could not get up in the mornings anymore just the the morning runs had kind of worn me thin and then by time training for boston came around i was like putting it off and putting it off and I did fewer weeks than I normally do. Cause I just couldn't, I hate, I hate winter running. Like I hate running <laughs> in the winter with the passion. And then I was already burned out. And I was like, if I wasn't running Boston, I wouldn't be doing a marathon right now. I just need some time. So it started mentally and it, it got better when it warmed up, like come March, like the early March, I felt better because it was warmer. That gray, cloudy, gloomy nonsense. I just don't like it. It was just rough. <laughs> and you mentioned how you're training. You have the long run on the weekend, and then you have kind uh-huh. of like a track Tuesday type thing going on during yes. the week. And I know some ultra marathoners, not all, 
I don't want to play with with, a, with too broad a brush here, but some of them will basically do like the really long run on the weekends. And then during the week, it's just kind of like maintenance, you know, on their feet for an hour, roughly, but mm-hmm. really, really emphasizing the weekend. Have you ever thought about doing that sort of thing just to kind of alleviate some of the pressures of the Monday nights and then the pressures of like, shoot, man, like two hours of running on a weekday or before work can be tough. <sighs> Yeah, no, I never did because I like I'm really weird, and if I have something written down of what I'm supposed to run, I can't like deviate from that. It's just a weird thing. So no, like I never considered doing that, and like I need the speed work, and that the speed work I've been doing is like ten to twelve miles. I need that because that has helped me so much, and I'm afraid if I cut one of those things out, then I won't do as well. So it's. Yeah, I don't know. Right. No, I hear you. So, <laughs> so from a training plan perspective, are you working with somebody or is this something that you're cobbling together uh, as you go? I have actually the last three times been using just the Hanson. They bought the Hanson's book uh, before I did my Illinois marathon last April. And I use that for the last three cycles. Oh, wow. That's great. So, so obviously you're a big fan. If you stuck with it, what about it do you feel like really works for you? Um, I think just making myself do the, I like the six days a week, but then just the track workouts. Like I hate, I hate running on a track. It's really boring, but I feel like that has helped and the tempo has helped and just reading some of the stuff in there, like not going over three hours, just some of that knowledge that I got from the book I found to be helpful. Um, so I mean that I learned a lot from reading it and it helped me a lot last year. But I think I'm to the point now where I've used it so much that I've kind of feel like I've hit a plateau because there's only a couple of pieces in that. So um, I have actually, I do have somebody that I think I'm going to be starting to work with for this next cycle. Oh, so you already have a, a new, like a plan for the next marathon or do you have a different race in mind? Yes. No, I, well, I have, I've already signed up for the fall one. Um, but no, I have a coach um i ryan vale yeah that right? of course okay is that right okay i'm afraid i said that wrong no yeah. so ryan's been on the show and he's well, shoot one of the best american marathoners in the country probably one of the top 20 then yes that's that yes that's who it is <laughs> <laughs> we i haven't like we haven't started anything but i've just been talking with him um but yeah so i will be working with him then this training cycle gotcha so I'm very excited to see what changes will come because with, like I said, with what I've been doing, it's was great, but I need something different now. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, especially with, you know, the, 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 the constant you know, fatigue and drag, and especially if you're not working with somebody, just the mental fatigue of, of, you know, do I stick with this run that's on this plan, mm-hmm. which isn't personalized. It's nice to have someone that you can just like talk it out with. You know what I mean? Because yes. if you have this feeling of like, I really don't want to go for this run or I'm just not feeling it. Is it like a sign of like, no, man, you got to be tough, you know, marathon, you know, like you got to put on your big, right. your big girl pants or big boy pants when you're doing marathon training. But sometimes it's a sign and it's hard to differentiate when you're kind of like stuck in the middle of it. Right. And I need something like doing the same. And I've done the same workout so many times that I'm bored now. Like at first it was fun and I could see improvements. But like I said, with this last one, I didn't. Again, it was afternoons, and I just – I didn't put my all into it. But, yeah, I need something different. You can only do the same workout so many times before you just kind of like – it just becomes monotonous. I need something new. Right. No, absolutely. It's funny. I couldn't tell if you said monotonous or monogamous, but I feel like in this case, <laughs> they both pertain. 
<laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, um, so, so you've, you, again, you had a wonderful year last year. Beginning of this year was kind of tough in terms of getting ready for Boston. Shoot, you still ran in the in right. mid 330s. You had a really good race. All things considered. Yeah, yeah. I can't complain. I I didn't put my heart and soul into it like I've done in the past. So I kind of went in there knowing that. And I don't train on downhills. I mean, there's just so many different variables. Never being there, having no idea what to expect. Um, and But no, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I feel like I gave it my all. And I don't think I could have done better. So... I'm good with the 330. I requalified, so that's all that oh, matters. There you go. There you go. The real question is, is, do you want to train through another winter for a marathon? Oh, I don't know. I say no right now, but then, you know, when I finish my next marathon in the fall, I'm sure I'll sign up the next week because that's what it always happens. Well, I mean, shoot, you just contradicted yourself, you know, within, within a matter of two sentences. So, yeah, you're like, I just I qualified. Know. Fantastic. Are you going to run it? Hell no. Like, uh-huh. We'll see. Um, so what? So what's yeah. the goal for the fall then? I am running Indy again. I feel like that's a really – I did it last year, and I just feel like that's a really good course and a really good time of year to get a good PR. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping – I mean, in a, an ideal world, I would love to go sub 320. I mean, if it's 319.59, I will be ecstatic. But if I do anything better than last year at 325, I'll be happy. I just – I think that's a good place to – it's someplace close and local. Um, that I could do that at. So let's talk about your choice of races because you have been on a marathon kick now for a few years after swearing that you would never do a marathon. Right. So, right. And I keep saying, I'm going to stop and I keep signing up. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so can you see yourself ever doing a shorter race as a goal race? Oh, I hate five K's. Like I have one on the books this summer and I did a couple last summer Ugh, they just, they hurt so much. I would much rather endure the pain of a marathon than the pain of a Okay, now kid. you're now you're talking ridiculousness <laughs> to me. Uh, how can you say that? <laughs> because a 5K hurts so badly, and I am not, I can run for a long period of time, but I don't have, like, those fast twitch muscles. I cannot run very fast. Like, I know people say that I can, but I'm not like a fast 5k runner. If that makes sense. I just, to be fair, I don't have that done in a lot of them in terms of like, no, cause right, I don't like right. them, which is like, <laughs> which is like, which is a good argument for and a good argument against. <laughs> I feel like that, right, I feel like right. I can use that same argument with the same words and just mean the exact opposite of what you just said it as. Um, and with that being said, is it more, is it, is it about the speed? Because again, it's just relative, right? I mean, like you have, you have Ugh. what, 21, 39, 5k PR, which is, you know, which is yeah. really good. A lot of people would take that, you know, it, just like people would take your marathon time. So is it a right. matter of like, just being like, you know, kind of running those last, at last mile, mile and a half, like while you're redlining, it's like, is that the issue? Like where you're just like huffing and puffing and you're like, I just can't do this anymore. Or is it more of like, you kind of like the, the slow burn of the marathon? Yeah. I think this marathon, it feels comfortable. Like it doesn't hurt. Sometimes it doesn't hurt the entire time. Like at the end starts to like, it's, you're supposed to like, I always feel pretty comfortable. I could like talk to you through a marathon until the mm. very end. Um, but a 5k, I feel like I'm dying and my legs are numb and I can't feel anything. And it seems like it lasts forever and it hurts so bad. 
Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Okay, so you, you really built it up. You're doing a great job. You've come so far since you started, um, you know, marathoning 2016. What advice do you give to other people or would you give to other people who were kind of where you were back in 2015? Of like, they're fairly active, but they're not sure if they want to do it. They're not sure if they can balance the time. Like, what kind of advice do you give to people who are kind of in that mode? And you can tell that they, they're kind of exploring it, but they just aren't ready to quite take the plunge. I would say go for it. It has, I don't want to say changed my life, but it makes you see that you're capable of more than you realize you are. And it, it just pushes you to a limit that you never thought was possible um, and that you always can find a way to make things work if you really want to do it. And yeah, does that make sense today? No, absolutely. (laughs) Just just go for it again. I guess the other thing too, is that, you know, you've shown that, you know, you can, you can make it work even if things aren't going perfectly. Right. I mean, it's like your story of 2018 is interesting because it has, you know, remarkable improvement, but it also has this like, hey, man, I also burnt out, right? Like you can, yes. you, you, know, the, the, yes. you know, the good came with the bad and you still try to figure it out as you go, but it didn't stop you from achieving some of the things that you really worked hard for. Exactly, exactly. Which is important. So Lisa, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the mm-hmm. show. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was My fun. pleasure. So have a great summer. Good luck in Indy. And I'm sure if you listen to this show, you probably listen to Lindsay Hines podcast as well. And I can only imagine mm-hmm. what blowout she'll be having down at Indy in the fall. Yeah, I'm sure That's it'll be sure. a good one. All right. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you again, Lisa, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Also, big thank you to Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee. Check them out. They're going to make your life easier and better and simplify things as you just get your stuff sent to your home because you have another, you have plenty more to worry about. The last thing you got to worry about is clothes and coffee. Let them figure it out for you. Go to MercuryMile.com and MegatonCoffee.com as well. Thank you for sharing rating, reviewing the episodes. I cannot thank you enough. I really do appreciate it. And this week, I also had a little poll on Instagram. My Instagram handle is rambling underscore runner to say, hey, how can I improve the show? Because you know, it's, it's important to me that not only do you like this show, but that we're constantly getting better wherever we can. So if you want to do that, you can hit me up with a DM on Instagram or email me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for everything and happy running.